Part nine of My School Days by E. Nesbitt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part nine. La Haye. After our experience in Auvergne, the rest of our travel was so flat as to have faded almost entirely from my memory. As soon as we reached England, I was sent to school, to a school of which I shall have more to say presently. There were only twenty girls. Mrs. Macbean was one of the best and kindest women who ever lived, a devoted Christian, with a heart large enough to take in all her girls. If I could have been happy at any school, I should have been happy there. And I was not actively unhappy, for I lived on my mother's promise that in July I should go back to her again. Where she was I didn't know, but I knew she was looking for a pretty home for us all. I used to write letters to her addressed to St. Martin's Le Grand, which I think I believed to be in Paris. At last the news came that she had decided to live at Dinan in Brittany, and that in two short days I was to go by boat and join her. One day passed. The next day at dinner I was hugging myself on the thought of the morrow. Tomorrow, I said to the girl next to me, I shall be going to my mother in France. Oh, no, dear. Said the governess at the foot of the table. Miss Macbean says you're not going till Wednesday. With a crash, my card castle came tumbling about my ears. Wednesday might as well have been next year, it seemed so far off. I burst into passionate weeping, just as the servant placed a large plate of steaming blackcurrant pudding before me. I saw through my tears how vexed Miss Macbean looked. She hadn't meant to break the news to me in this way. Come, Daisy, she said after a while. Don't cry, dear. Have some blackcurrant pudding, nice blackcurrant pudding. I don't want any blackcurrant pudding, I cried. I hate it. I never want any pudding again. And with that I rushed from the room, and from that day to this I have never been able to tolerate blackcurrant pudding. Everyone was very kind to me. But there was not any one there who could at all understand the agony that that delay cost me. I didn't care to eat, I didn't care to sleep or play or read. When my mother met me at Saint Malo on the following Thursday, her first words were, Why, how pale and ill the child looks! My sister suggested that it was the steamboat, but I don't believe it was. I believe it was the awful shock that came to me over the blackcurrant pudding. A long drive on a diligence, by miles and miles of straight white road, the fatigue of the journey forgotten, in the consciousness that I was going home, not to a hotel, not to a boarding house, but home. The small material objects that surround one's daily life have always influenced me deeply. Even as a child, I found that in a familiar entourage one could be contented, if not happy. But hotels and boarding houses and lodgings have always bored me to extinction. Of course, as a matter of theory, one ought to carry one's intellectual atmosphere with one and be independent of surroundings. But, as a matter of practice, it can't be done, at least by me. I have a cat like fondness for things I am accustomed to, and I am not singular in this respect. I once knew a woman who, after years of genteel poverty, and comfortless economy, had an opportunity of a new life in comparatively affluent circumstances. 
"'Why ever don't you accept it?' I said, when she told me of it. "'I can't make up my mind to it,' she said. "'You see, I should have to leave the furniture.' I felt some sympathy for her, though I hoped that in her place I should have been strong-minded enough to make another choice. At last the diligence drew up at a crossroads, where a cart was waiting, and to this our luggage was transferred. It turned up one of the side-roads, and we followed on foot. Up a hill wound the road, a steep wooded slope on one side, and on the other a high clay bank set with dainty ferns. Here and there a tiny spring trickled down to join the little stream that ran beside the road. We turned a corner by a farm, through a herd of gaunt pigs nearly as big as donkeys, the sight of which made me clasp my mother's hand more tightly. Each pig had a bar of wood suspended from his neck by a string, so that if he tried to stray through the hedge, the bar would catch and hold him back. All the pigs tried to walk over this bar as it hung against their forelegs. They never succeeded, but the action gave them all the air of high-stepping carriage-horses. Then we walked a little further along the white road, and the cart turned in at a wooden gate. We followed along the carriage-drive, which ran along outside the high red wall of the big garden, then through a plantation of huge horse-chestnut trees. To the left I could see ricks, cows and pigs, all the bustle and colour of a farmyard. Two great brown gates swung back on their hinges, and we passed through them into the courtyard of the dearest home of my childhood. The courtyard was square. One side was formed by the house. Dairy, coach-house, and the chicken-house formed the second side. On the third side were stable, cow-house, and goat-shed. On the fourth, wood-shed, dog-kennel, and the great gates by which we had entered. The house itself was an ordinary, white-washed, slate-roofed French country house, with an immense walled fruit-garden on the other side of it. There never was such another garden, there never will be. Peaches, apricots, nectarines, and grapes of all kinds lined the inside walls. The avenue that ran down the middle of it was of fig-trees and standard peach-trees. There were raspberries, cherries, and strawberries, and flowers mingling with fruits and vegetables in a confusion the most charming in the world. Along the end of the garden was a great arcade of black clipped yews, so thick and strong that a child could crawl on the outside of it without falling through. Above the dairy and coach-house was an immense hayloft, a straw-loft over the stable and cow-house. What playrooms for wet days! Beyond the chicken-house was the orchard, full of twisted grey apple-trees, beneath whose boughs in due season the barley grew. Beyond, a network of lanes, fringed with maidenhair, led away into fairyland. My brothers eagerly led me around to show me all the treasures of the new home. There was a swing in the orchard, there were trees full of cherries, white and black. "'And we may eat as many as we like,' said Alfred. That afternoon we gathered a waste-paper basket full of cherries, and, with strenuous greed, set ourselves to empty it. We didn't succeed, of course, but the effort, so far as I remember, was attended by no evil consequences. We gave what we couldn't eat to the little black English pig, another of the treasures of the new home. 
there was a little black cow, there was a goat who resented with her horns my efforts after goat's milk. I learnt to milk her afterwards, though, and she grew very kind and condescending. Then there were two ponies, Punch and Judy, and Punch, my brothers told me proudly, was for us to ride. This was the crowning happiness. We had never had a pony of our own before. He was a tiresome, pig-headed little beast, that pony, but we loved him dearly. He had a way of pretending to be frightfully thirsty when you were out riding him, and when, in the kindness of your heart, you let him bend his head to a wayside pond for a drink, he would kick up his wicked little heels, and over his head you had to go. If he could rub you off against a tree as you rode across the fields, he would do it with all the pleasure in life. He was rather good at jumping, and he and I had some pleasant cross-country expeditions. But if anything in the nature of the obstacle you put him at happened to strike his fancy disagreeably, he had a clever way of stopping short at the last moment, when of course you went over his head. He threw me three times in this way one morning, but after that I was up to him. End of part nine.